As we receive God's word together, I wanna start by showing you a picture. This picture is of me driving and my friend Yalu in the back. Yalu and his family moved to West Michigan from Ethiopia this summer so that Yalu's dad, Naguse, could study at Western Theological Seminary. His mom, Netsane, and his little sisters, Becky, and the newest born, Male Luta, are all part of his family, and it's a gift to have them as part of our pillar community. And with the complications of international driver's license transfers, Yalu sometimes needs a ride to school, and so pillar folks have been helping with those carpool efforts. And about a month back, on one of those really, really snowy days, I got to drive Yalu to school. We were driving along, and I said, Yalu, was there ever snow like this in Ethiopia? He said, no, none at all. And we kept talking, and he showed me his Spider-Man backpack, and he made sure I was going the right way on the way to Holland West Elementary, because he had a full day of first grade ahead of him. There was this really precious moment when I pulled up into the carpool line and Yalu headed off to school that, to me, represented the freedom and joy and belovedness of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to know that we are loved by God, and what it means to walk in that freedom. I'll, I'll share a little more about that later, but we're going to return to Yalu and his joy in Christ by way of John 8. And John 8 is a story where we meet with Jesus and we're confronted by the shame and guilt we all carry, a common theological misconception, and then Jesus invites us to a better way. And so as we head into the story, listen carefully to God's word for us. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple all the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach him, began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand there before all of them, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were saying this to test him so that they might have some sort of charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he bent down and wrote with his finger. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. 
And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where have they gone? Has no one accused you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go your way, and from now on do not sin again. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness because they have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, your testimony is not valid for you testify on your own behalf. And Jesus said, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards, I judge no one. But even if I did judge, my judgment would be valid, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. For if you knew me, you would know my father also. He said these things while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him, for his hour had not yet come. Again, he said to them, I am going away, and you will search for me, but you will die in your sin. For where I am going, you cannot come. Then the Jews said, is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means by saying where... I am going, you cannot come. Jesus said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins, unless you believe that I am he. They said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, why do I talk to you at all? I have much to say about you and much to condemn. But the one who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father who sent me instructed me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves of anyone. What, what do you mean by saying that we will be set free? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household, but the son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you are free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's John 8, verses 1 through 36. We're going to explore who Jesus is and what Jesus does through the lenses of the shame and guilt we all carry, 
a common theological mistake and the better way that Jesus invites us to. And then then we'll turn, we'll return to Yalu's story and and come to the table. First, the shame and guilt we all carry. I'm hoping that this can be a way for us to enter into what the woman caught in adultery might have been feeling and what those who tried to stone her might have been feeling. If we're honest, we all carry shame in some ways and guilt in some ways. We all live in some sort of a shame story. We experience shame based on what others do to us, what others say to us. We experience shame about our stories. And then there's the guilt piece too. And if you're anything like me, and in the midst of our shame, the internal voices of evaluating ourselves and self-critique can become so loud. The voices of others, the voices of the enemy, the voices of our culture, we, we end up evaluating ourselves with such scrutiny that we throw up our hands unsure of what voices are true. And the guilt piece. Guilt is a feeling that you get when you did something wrong or perceived you did something wrong. And with a quick Google search, I was trying to discern that from shame. Shame is a feeling that your whole self is wrong, and it may not be related to a specific behavior or event. But anyway, we all live in a shame story and a guilt story. The other night, about a month ago on family night, I was explaining to the kiddos among us what it means when we come to pray a prayer of confession. And I quoted from Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all live in a shame story and a guilt story. So our feelings of guilt are true, but they're never the first or the final word about us. Guilt can be a a true voice that convicts us and leads us to repentance, but when we get stuck there, we forget God's truer word of our belovedness comes before and after guilt because of Jesus. We'll get to the woman caught in adultery in a minute. First, I wanna listen to this quote from my friend and professor, Chuck DeGroat. His Lenten devotional speaks to the realities of shame in our lives in a really helpful way. Listen to this. Here is the mystery, Christ in you. Why does it take so long to embrace this? The hard and sad reality is that there is a conspiracy of our own self-sabotaging voices matched by the twisted obsession some pastors have with telling people how bad they are. I've often told pastoral colleagues, you don't need to convince people that they're bad. They feel it already. We live in a shame and guilt saturated culture and it doesn't take much for the old dark internal scripts to play again. In fact, the self-esteem movement of the late 20th century tried to remedy this, but it only compounded our sense of unworthiness. I wonder for you, what are those old, dark, internal scripts of shame that you just can't seem to break free of on your own? I'm wondering what those scripts were, what those feelings of shame, what the shame story was, of the woman caught in adultery. Dragged into the center of all the commotion, 
by a group of men who didn't even consider her name. First of all, they caught her in the very act of committing adultery, immediately, shame and guilt. Then they use and abuse her story for their own selfish purposes to catch Jesus, making her stand before all of them. Not only is her personhood ignored, but her story is manipulated for their own selfish purposes. They talk to Jesus, but only about her. She's not given a voice or a name, only an accusation, a reputation, and the threat of death. Imagine the shame and guilt she's experiencing. And and the guilt piece, I'm sure if she'd heard anything about Jesus, she knew that he was a holy, kind, and good teacher. And now, in their first encounter, he's told the deepest, darkest secret about her. Shame and guilt were probably speaking very loud for her in this moment. And what does Jesus do? He turns the conversation on its head. He invites her to relationship. He speaks to her. He rejects the question of the Pharisees, writes something mysterious in the sand, and levels the playing field. I was texting a friend of mine who is going to be a New Testament scholar specifically on the Gospel of John. This is my friend James from seminary. He's basically read anything you can about the Gospel of John. And I said, James, what do you think Jesus was writing in the ground? And James said, honestly, I don't know, and I don't think we're supposed to know. Here's a picture of our text conversation. So all of that aside, Jesus turns the whole event on its head. I don't know what he was writing in the sand, but he certainly didn't cater to the questions and the accusations of those who were coming at her. He gently says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you. Jesus invites truth-telling, conviction, and discernment, giving the woman a voice and inviting her forward to a better way. I wonder if in the midst of the shame and guilt you're carrying, if you could imagine a moment alone with Jesus. Imagine Jesus speaking these words over you, neither do I condemn you. Now go, and from now on, do not sin. Jesus does not condemn you and is inviting you to a better way. When the accusers disappear and the voice of Jesus is the only one that matters, we discover our belovedness again as the truer story over and against all the stories of shame and guilt that we carry. Could this be true of your own shame story? In the moment when you're exposed and left alone, could Jesus be saying, neither do I condemn you, neither does God condemn you. Be free. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Now go and from now on do not sin again. Could that be true of us? And in answering that question, we have to confront a common theological mistake. See, here's the truncated way the 
the shrunken way that the gospel story gets told. The misconception that many of us carry is that Jesus died to make God the Father love us. But here's the truth. Salvation is the work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, always acting in love together for love, because of love, from the beginning. Love is the reason for, not the consequence of Christ's death. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 28. He's trying to explain to them who he is. I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father who sent me instructed me. He has not left me on my own, for I always do what is pleasing to him. And verse 19, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. Why does this matter for our shame stories? Well, Jesus is saying that he and the Father are one, and they're always working together in unity with the Spirit. Jesus didn't die to make God the Father love you. No, Jesus died because God loves you. So, so what does this mean for our shame and guilt stories and the story of the woman caught in adultery? And the Pharisees who weren't sinless enough to cast the first stone. It means that Jesus' words of freedom from condemnation, neither do I condemn you, are the very words of God. The Jesus who does not condemn the woman caught in adultery reveals to us a God who does not condemn the woman caught in adultery. The Jesus who doesn't condemn you in the midst of all your sin and guilt and shame reveals a God who does not condemn you in the midst of all your sin and guilt and shame because God in Jesus became the condemned on our behalf. Jesus does not condemn you. God is not mad at you. I wonder who needs to hear that because God has become in Jesus the condemned on our behalf. The only one worthy to cast the first stone becomes the one who ultimately gets stones thrown at him. Very God and very human, not to make the Father love you, but because the Father loves you. How do we know this? How can we know that this is true? How can we know that Jesus actually reveals the very heart of God? Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. The cross, Christ on the cross, is the very moment when Jesus most fully reveals the heart of the eternal God for us. God giving His life, God becoming the sacrifice, God inviting us to relationship, to, and, and going to the point of death all for love. Jesus is telling us that if we know him, we know the Father. Christ on the cross shows us the very heart of God. So what does that mean for our shame and guilt stories? God gives himself for us because he loves us and chooses to make a way for us to enter into a better, truer story with him. Jesus puts it this way in John 14, he who sees me sees also the Father. And so how do we respond? in our stories of shame and guilt, when we realize Jesus has entered into that story, turned it all around and invited us to a better way, Jesus invites us by saying, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. We're invited to continue in the words of Jesus. 
What does that mean? It means believing and knowing deep in our bones that Jesus does not condemn us, but instead has become life and breath and all that we need. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus says who he is through a variety of metaphors. So I'm wondering if we can just listen to these together as the first step in continuing in Jesus' words. If the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the resurrection in the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. I am the gate for the sheep. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid out, lays down his life for the sheep. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Neither do I condemn you. Go now, and from now on, do not sin again. Peace I, live, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. So I was driving my friend Yalu to school, and we pull up to the curb, and he sees his teacher standing outside and a whole line of little first-grade classmates. And I say, Yalu, have a good day. And he opens up the door, he jumps to the ground, puts on his Spider-Man backpack, and takes off dead sprint to his classmates. Yalu was running ahead into God's story for him because he knows that he's beloved in Christ in the midst of a big, scary, frozen tundra world that looks a lot different than his home in Ethiopia. Somehow, through God's kindness and the grace of his family and a church that loves him, Yalu knows deep down that he is beloved, that in Christ he is free, and that he can continue at a dead sprint in the words of Jesus. And I just think that precious, beautiful confidence is what God is inviting us to in the midst of the shame we still carry and whatever space we're at in that healing journey of life with God, God invites us to continue in the words of Jesus. Because we're beloved, because Jesus is for us, and because Jesus does not condemn us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.